Welcome to another edition of the Hangout Podcast. This is your host, Juan Hernandez. Today, I'm joined by my very special guest, uh, Heli Martinez. Heli, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, Heli, it's <clears> been <throat> a it's been a, a year already since I interviewed la- interviewed you last. Right? Can you believe that? Yes. Yes. It's time goes by quick. If uh, if you guys want to check that interview out, I did that interview for when I was still in school last year. You can check that out in my YouTube archives. It's up there. We did about maybe two and a half hours um, just talking about your whole career right. introspective from the 60s all the way through now I mean it was just exactly I, I've listened to it many times over and over again I just can't there's a lot of wealth of knowledge in there a lot a lot we but, talked uh, about a lot oh yeah yeah definitely and today I wanted to actually we're actually sitting sitting down here at your home in Baytown right just finished up a impromptu lesson guitar lesson about maybe 30 minutes ago and I got to say, that's, uh, I mean, you got to start somewhere when you start playing an instrument. I mean, it's, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. Uh, but if you really love it, which is the point, is to have a great time with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And whether it's uh, electric or bass guitar, drums, you, you got to start. I noticed that you have to start slow. You can't just... Exactly. Like they say, you have to learn how to crawl and then walk and <laughs> right. run. Yeah. You can't just pick up a guitar and say, hey, I'm going to play uh, Eddie Van Halen. Or right. You, it's it's impossible. You just it's can't impossible. do that. It's impossible. You'd have to be one in a million to do that. But even exactly. then, even then, it's... Even then, you got to spend a lot of time doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we covered uh, a few of the chords, and then we tried to apply them to songs, mm-hmm. right? Which is pretty interesting because it's like we were talking before. It's like it's pretty much how songs are made, how yes. music is made. It's just a whole bunch of patterns, go- patterns going through exactly and repetition, and just repeating it all over and over again. Yes, a lot, a lot. If you memorize like the intro, and and a lot of it is memory work. A lot of memory work and putting chords together and remembering. For example, a verse might have. Right now we're playing a G, a C, and a D, but it already sounds like a song, right? And you can embellish it like this. It's just a lot of different variations to it i mean it's just you can go from that and then just yeah in a completely different key and then and you can get the same chords which i was playing g c and d and just rock them out Mm -hmm. same chords It's endless, right? It's endless, and going from and that's just that's just taking baby steps to eventually leading to how how to play, how to play lead, how to or just do do your own uh, create your own music. Yeah, originals. For example, <clears throat> one of the things when I teach is just to get a simple, let's say, a G chord, and just groove on a G chord. For example. Mm-hmm. 
then I add, then I try to teach a little blues scale on, on top of it, like a G blues scale, which would be. So I might add. comes to your guitar your guitar playing what style did you lean more towards to when you were when you were starting out were there any certain players that you were emulating growing up and incorporating well i really like the styles? guitar and so i was listening to people like the ventures but also the beatles were coming in mm -hmm. <clears throat> so i was trying to learn the chords to beatles songs like uh like let's say to lead a better so I tried to learn those chords. So a lot of melody, you know, melodic songs. In the process, you learn chords. So you're trying to apply those chords to that particular song. So that's what I was influenced by in the beginning. Later on, I got into the blues. And then rock, of course, was coming in. And uh, a lot of instrumental music, you know. So it just progressed and progressed because I started studying everything that had to do with guitar. Mm -hmm. you know? So you weren't just set on one, one no, certain style? No, I wanted to, I, I had to figure out what everybody was doing. Anytime I heard the guitar anywhere, whether it was a country song or a rock song, I had to find out how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I really just loved the guitar and all, everything and the nature of it, of all the tones from overdrive to clean, to just heavy, to very light, uh, mm -hmm. just intrigued me, you know, it just intrigued me. So I had to learn every, well, and the Beatles was, I, I had to figure out how to do. Is that all George Harrison? Yeah, that was George Harrison. I've, I've read a, a lot on him. He was uh, well known for being a very, I guess, unorthodox uh, guitar player. Yeah. And, and he had different variations of uh, yeah, and, certain chords. And he and, was listening uh, to a lot of people in America, too. Chet Atkins, mm -hmm. which played a lot of... Music. Mm -hmm. So, so.
so then now you start incorporating your left hand and your right hand you know so so uh it's not just about uh i had to learn about all the different techniques and how to do the left hand and the right hand so Mm -hmm. it's not just about lead work it's about rhythmic work but a lot of melody always intrigued me the melody i had to hear a nice line something that would speak to me kind of like a storyline you know mm-hmm. it's almost like a conversation you you go then you might go it's almost like a conversation mm-hmm. so to me i always listen for that so melody is big influence Mm-hmm. And starting out, I remember we talked about how you how you started out first on the piano, and then you made the transition right. to playing guitar. How hard was it for you to when you started playing? Did you find it like myself right now? I just started uh, playing, let's say, from the bottom up, um, right. and I find it right now very hard just trying to play chords to to a song. Was it? Did you find it? hard or was it just a, a learning process for you to it it's, was a learning process it it was hard uh, just like be, then you find out that it's just not that easy mm-hmm. that it's something that takes time and it's something to that you do by repeating over and over and over but there is a light at the end of the tunnel so when you practice something like the chords that we were practicing Initially, you might get you might get some mess ups, but the more you do it, the easier it gets, and you will go through that whole frustration thing sometimes, and you go through those power rhythms where some days are easier than others. Then one day you wake up and that exercise you were doing automatically happens, and you go, "Gosh, I did that." Yeah. And then also you're learning let's say you're learning a song it's the same process you practice those chords over and over and, and it's tedious and and that's where it, you find out how much do you want to do it you know but it there's a, you, it pays off because you do it over and over again and let's say you're learning a song you practice these patterns over and over you connect that one pattern to the next pattern all of a sudden you've got half a song then you you learn the last pattern and then eventually you practice all those patterns together and before you know it you wake up two months later three months later and you play a whole song and you go gosh i did that you know and that that's where the payoff goes then you go gosh now if i did that to this song and and really just dissected it learn this little pattern this little pattern because in songs, they're going to repeat. The patterns right. are going to repeat. So really, if you learn the uh, one verse, you can go, gosh, I j- I'm, I've only learned one verse. God, it's so tough. Well, if you learn that one verse, it's going to repeat itself maybe two or three or four times later on. So you really learned almost half the song, if not more. Mm-hmm. So uh, practicing those patterns will get you to where you can play a whole song. 
And like like we were, I was saying before, if it were easy, I think we'd all be doing. Oh <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Right off the be, bat, I mean, no. I'd be playing in front of a, thousands of people, but it's just not. It's not, not the easy. Case. So anytime you see an accomplished guitarist or musician of any kind, you got to take your hats off, hat off to them because they spent a lot of time doing it. And that's uh, that's pretty much what they were dead set on from the beginning. They exactly. wanted to like yourself. You know, you wanted to be not just a guitarist, but a musician. Exactly. A professional and musician. Exactly. And uh, you got to want to be good. I mean, you don't have to. You can, for example, the guitar, you can pick it up just to have fun. And I'm a firm believer that you don't have to pick it up in order to be the next Van Halen or Jeff Beck. You don't mm -hmm. have to do that. It's really a personal thing where it just brings you a lot of joy to do it. Because mm -hmm. so, at the end of the day, there's only one Eddie Van Halen. Exactly. One Jeff Beck. Exactly. And there's room for a lot of, for your own personality mm -hmm. to come out, you know. But uh, if you pick it up and you spend enough time on it you're, and, and it starts to sound like something, you're going to get your personal satisfaction out of it, mm -hmm. which is really, you, you want to love it to the, the degree you want to love it. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, your personality, it's uh, you want to be able to separate yourself from, from, people, from people saying, oh, he sounds just like Van Halen, he's exactly. just another ripoff, or he sounds just like uh, Hendrix. Exactly. Instead of, you want them to say, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's Heli Martinez. Exactly. Or, and, uh, and, and there's room for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, that's ultimately probably more rewarding because if you're going to be like Eddie, if you want to sound exactly like Eddie Van Halen. There's only one Eddie Van Halen, and uh, but there's going to be a million copies. So, mm -hmm. do you want to yeah. be original? And you know, if you spend enough time pulling that out of yourself, you're gonna you're gonna bring it out, and who knows what's in there. Mm -hmm. So and, yeah, you you can sound like Eddie Van Halen, but you know, there's only one. There's can, only one. Yeah, you can go buy a Stompbox at Guitar Center, you know, signature Stompbox, whatever you call it, and his signature guitar, and you can sound just like him. But exactly. You might not be able to play. I think it's that edge that guitarists have. Certain guitarists have that edge. Yes. Yes. To them. And they spent the time bringing it out yeah. of their personality. And I think for for a guy like Eddie Van Halen, he I think he was just running his guitar through a amplifier, and that was it. That's right. That's right. You put him on another amplifier and another guitar, he's gonna sound like Eddie Van Halen. Just the same. Yes. So uh, he spent the time uh, bringing that out of himself, and everybody's got that in himself. You know, their own unique quality. If you spend enough time bringing it out. Right. Because I've heard I've heard you play in the times that I've heard you play. When I hear you play, I can hear that that style coming Influence. out. It's like, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like Helly. He's not trying to right. play like uh, Eddie Van Halen or or, or, or somebody Jeff else Beck or, or somebody Jeff like that. It sounds there's a certain style to it, right? And uh, in the beginning, you study those people. You know, you study all the people that really you admire, but eventually you want to use those to bring your own thing out mm -hmm. and uh that's the difference between like let's say let's take a person like carlos santana right you've got eddie van halen on one side you've got carlos santana on another eddie sounds like this eddie is a 
is a technician big time on the guitar. Carlos, there's no way Carlos could play like that. Um, but Carlos sounds like Carlos. Oh, yeah. And, and when Carlos plays, you, you automatically know that's Carlos Santana. He, he has that personality, and it's just as great as what Eddie is. You hear that so, with Santana, you hear the you hear the Latin influence. And you hear the, the soul come out. Yeah, the Spanish and influence. The Spanish and the soul and and how and you can almost hear that spirit coming out. Mm-hmm. Same with Eddie. Oh know, yeah. In two yeah. different ways. But you don't have to play like Eddie to be known as great because really it's not how great you play, it's what you bring out that that soul, that personality thing inside of you, you know, and everyone's got a different one. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah, he's not not only is he an accomplished uh, guitarist, but I mean, just coming out of being in Van Halen itself, just writing the songs, exactly, and having the career that they've had with the members they've had. I mean, it's just incredible. It's just incredible right. that that he's, you know, he's always going to be known for playing Eruption and right. the double tapping right. and all that good stuff. But I mean, everybody has their own unique, unique thing, their own little signature, I guess, uh, signature style, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, and ultimately, uh, even if you pick up an instrument, uh, whether it be piano, guitar, bass, whatever, you want to, uh, you want to try to get away from thinking you have to be as good as this person, or that you have to, you won't be good until you're as good as this person. Uh, you ultimately want to do it for yourself. It's a personal thing that I'm doing this because I love it, not because I want to be great. Mm-hmm. C- certainly you want to be great if that's what you want to be, but you still have to want, at the end of the day, close the doors and it's just you and that guitar and do I enjoy what I'm doing? So you really want to enjoy what you're doing because that'll give you the the impetus to keep going keep practicing because you enjoy it so it's not because you you know you want to be as great as somebody else you want to do it because you're getting the enjoyment out of it so there's uh, I tell my students don't worry about being because a lot of my students come in and they go you know I don't have any interest in being uh, in playing live or being as great as this well don't worry about it just do it because you love it Right. You know, mm-hmm. go uh, lean towards what you want to do with it and go with that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoy what you're, do- you know, getting out of it, the joy out of it. Right, right. You know, c- 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 certain people have their intentions. It's, you know, some people want to be famous. Exactly. If exactly. you want to be famous, there's a there's a way to do that. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You got to be full on. You got to look at what's going on right now exactly pop music whatever exactly. whatever's trending right now you yeah, got to be able to you've got to be in the game in the game in the you, race you can't just say oh i want to play like this but that's not popular right now but you want to be famous it's like right one right one or the other exactly exactly so it depends on what you want to do with it mm-hmm. you know if you want to be famous and like like we talked about before if you're in it just to be famous and make a lot of money you might want to reconsider yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know, good luck. So it's uh, it's uh, it's very. I look at it as very. The music business is very competitive and very. You really have to be on top of your game. You have to know what you're doing. Yeah, you have yeah. to be very. Uh, 
not very, not just uh, savvy with being a musician, but also the business side of it too. Yeah, like yourself. I mean, yeah. Uh, just looking at your career, I mean, it's uh, done a lot. You know, done the, a whole lot. The other day I saw, like on that subject, the other day on a Doctor Phil, there was a a family with a guy. A guy, he was in his forties, and they were having problems with him because he wanted to be a rock star, mm-hmm. and uh, he did everything but get good at what he was doing. And he really wasn't very—he wanted to be up front, singing, doing the vocals, and he was dressing like the rock stars and everything. Yeah. But there was almost no way he was gonna—you know—in all the years he was doing it, he but he was. He was getting in trouble with all sorts of things because he wasn't meeting up his responsibilities as just a regular everyday human being mm-hmm. because he wanted to be a rock star <laughs> and and uh, even his girlfriend left him all you know he got into all sorts of financial trouble and everything because he didn't want to have any of that he wanted to be a rock star and uh, it was hard for him to 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 figure out that it Hey, you may not end up being a rock star. Being, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard road, you know, and you can't just wake up and go, man, I just want to be a rock star. I want to be a rock star. I want to go on you, tour. You got to do your, you got to do like you're saying. You got to do your homework, ten times, ten times your home, the most intensive homework you can. You got to study. You got to do all of that, and still, you may not get it, mm-hmm. you know. So, ultimately, you got to. Um, for me, an instrument, it, I just do it because I love it, you know. And it shows too, because in the time that I've my time that I've known you, I don't get that from you that you know you're doing it because you want to be famous, a rock star, no. you, know, you want to make a lot of money, right? And if you do become famous and you do make a lot of money, that's just that's just extra, right? But that's, that wasn't my intention mm-hmm. to begin with, right? I really, when I hear guitar music or I hear, I really love it just love it I get lost in it and because I really love it and I got to know what it what they're doing and 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 I just enjoy the the music I really do you know it's 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 personal with me the music so and that's, that's good that's good to hear that from from a musician like yourself and all the I'm sure all the musicians most of them that are way up there you know they they started doing it because they just love doing it right and the ones that are still out on the road to this day i mean i don't my friend and i were talking the other day about uh bands that are still out there on the road from i, I think it was from like the 60s mm-hmm. and he said I there's a lot of those around that are, are doing las vegas they they're do doing the the residencies and all that uh-huh, in right. casinos right i think the one that stands out the most is the rolling stones Oh yeah, I can't. Right. I can't think of any other band like the big band like that. Like them, they're huge. I mean, it's incredible what they've done. Deep, deep into their seventies, uh, right? I think. Can you imagine? <laughs> and uh, to be out there still touring the world like like they used to. Oh, stadiums, you know. Wow. You could. They could probably fill up two stadiums if they wanted to. Oh yeah, you know. Probably play maybe four nights. On yeah, one exactly. City alone. Yeah, in one city alone. And I think that's all they have to do in the whole year, and they'll right. They'll be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll be set. Exactly. But it's uh, there's not that many bands around. There are some, like you said, uh, still doing the casinos and the residency. And I have read up on all, a lot of those. They do 
pay a lot of a lot yeah, of good money. Yeah, they do. They do well. And a lot of those uh, that had uh, several hits, mm-hmm. you know, in the early years, they're they're still touring that, mm-hmm. and uh, they're doing it because they make they make a good living and they enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a lucky thing if they, you know, that they're able to make. And not like the Stones, right. but they're still enjoying. You know, they're playing an instrument and getting paid fairly well. And not as great as this, not as great as that, but not as bad as this. And playing an instrument is a pretty l- cool thing. And then those that got really smart about it and, you know, get royalties from their publishing. From their, yes, exactly. That's all, that's all it takes. Some people don't, don't, even, they don't even read the, the fine print when they sign it. Oh, yeah, mistake. mistake. When, they sign their first, when you sign your first record deal, you're pretty much signing your whole life away. Yes, yeah. You, and you... You have to be, you have to read what what you're signing for, yeah. just like any other paper. You got to get hip to all that. Mm-hmm. The business end of it is just, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, before you sign on the dotted line, you better mm-hmm. really do get either you study it yourself or get with somebody, have a good lawyer that you can trust. You know. Did you ever have any? As far as the business end of it, did you ever have any uh, sort of trouble? I guess along the way. Uh, as far as you know uh, contracts or you know in my younger years uh, when you didn't when we didn't know any better uh, we were playing uh, we were on the road sometimes especially in rock bands uh, we were kids and sometimes you'd play a club where at the end of the night they'd just go man we just didn't make enough money we can't pay you guys or I've shown up to a club that we were booked at and you, let's say you're going to play at 8 o'clock. We'll show up in our van. You know, we're, we're young. We're, we're still rocking out. Mm-hmm. We'll show up in our van with our gear. And we park outside waiting for them to open the club so that we can bring our gear in. And then it's a bad feeling when you're sitting there parked waiting for them to open the club. And then two, three other vans show up with, with bands that have been booked also to play the same gig you're supposed to be playing wow so there's been instances where where you got the shaft you know mm-hmm. where you showed up and other bands got shown up and all of a sudden they go well man we were booked on the same night we we're booked and you go up to the club owner and go hey man you know <laughs> pay us or whatever uh, i mean i'm sorry man i'm sorry but but that's it you know and Sh- shady so, promoters. Yeah. And so that has happened. That has happened. And and what happens is you have you learn that uh, most of the gigs we have now are, under, are with contract. And what we usually get is we get a uh, we, we we get a, a, a certain percentage or in the beginning before we even play the gig. You know, maybe a forty percent to show up. And then when you play the gig, they pay you the rest. Mm-hmm. So. At least when you get there, if something happens, you've already get, gotten paid a certain amount. So it's kind of like a like a deposit. Yes, a and, deposit. It, and then you show up, and then you get the exactly. get the rest. It, oh, okay. So it's kind of it, not kind of it's it is it's it's imperative that you okay. do that. Mm-hmm. So because uh, anything could happen, you know. And uh, if you belong to the union in certain states, you know the musicians' union is not as strong in Texas as it would be in Nevada where Las Vegas is because it's a right to work state. So 
you don't really need a in Texas it's a right to work state so you don't unions aren't that strong like the musicians union. right so if you get shafted at a gig a union can't come in there and fight for you you know with their lawyers mm-hmm. but in Nevada if a club owner shafts you and and you belong to the union they'll sue the club owner and they'll get you your money wow so that's the pros for being protected mm-hmm. you know so but when you're young you don't know that yet and you can get taken advantage of but you learn quickly yeah yeah <laughs> you, you want to rock out first but then exactly this happens yeah and you go oh you know we spent this on gas we spent this mm-hmm. on motels we spent this on that and it's happened to the to the best of them uh, oh, the best the best band maybe all and, of them yeah mm-hmm. and like you said you learn from you learn and uh that, and some don't learn some just you know want to party out uh, yeah and that's the that's the bad side of, of yeah the that's the bad business. side that's when you're not really remembering that it's the music you know it's that it's not the the partying and all that that's gonna or the uh just the rocking out you got to think business it's got you got to think business you know and yeah you, it's just usually that all the bad stuff that has taken a lot of people out and some most some of them left for broke can't right. even, can't even fill up a club local club or whatever right struggling to make ends meet and that's just right to me that's that's just sad because i, I look at bands from like the 80s you look at them now and they can barely fill a place like the house of blues i know it or other places like that i mean it's just and you know a lot of them made a lot of money when they were young and and then all of a sudden now they don't have any money what happened so uh you know business business you gotta you gotta look ahead and you gotta think about the future and you gotta be smart about it we talked about this um over a year ago about uh bon jovi how he was able to transition from being just the 80s band right and then just transition all the way to through the 90s and up to today whereas other bands you look you look you look at them now and they're like oh yeah it's that 80s band from yeah back then right you look at bon jovi it's like oh, it's bon jovi yeah there's there he's yeah he's still viable today mm-hmm. so no he was a smart guy though and you know who was smart also mick jagger of the stones was a lot of people didn't know about it, but he was behind the scenes. He was a big time businessman. Oh, was yeah, he? Yeah, he was. He was doing a lot of the business decisions with the with the managers, with all those. He was smart. I mean, somebody has to, right? Yeah, <laughs> but he was one of the, he was uh, the one doing most of the business decisions. Wow. You know, whereas he, Keith Richards uh, played the uh, <laughs> pirate guitarist, laid back. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, Mick Jagger was the one taking care of business. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it takes somebody like that. If if not for all, let's say four people in a band, at least just one of them. Right. That's gonna protect himself. Protect. Say, hey, uh, you know, we need to do this. Right. We need to do that. We need a contract for this. We need a yeah. contract for that. Yeah. A, a band like the like the Eagles. The, I've read a lot of articles since uh, uh, Glenn Fry's passing a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. saying how how he was the he was pretty much the songwriter slash businessman right. of the band. Yeah, leader. The, the leader, right. exactly, along with his uh, with uh, yeah. Don Henley. But I mean, it's just it's just so tragic how all these musicians just 
passed away within a short amount of time. I know. But I mean, it is the. It's not so shocking, but I mean, it's just a, that's just the reality. I mean, yeah, people yeah. are getting older. That's just that's yeah. just life. Yeah, they still it still seems too young. Yeah, you know? late like late, mid to late sixties. Yeah, that's and too young. Seventies, you know, that's still kind of young. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of them uh, lived a hard life. You, you look know, at uh, we talked about uh, over on the phone the other day. We were talking about Lemmy from Motorhead, right? And uh, I'm not sure how, how familiar are you with Motorhead. Uh, I'm not uh, as Motorhead. familiar with not with familiar. Motorhead. No, no. They uh, they came out late '70s. Okay. That uh, the new wave of British heavy metal that was coming out right. of out of England. Okay. Along with bands like Def Leppard and Okay Iron Maiden. That kinda, time. Yeah, kind of that wave. Mm-hmm. They were still. Yeah, they were still coming up. Mm-hmm. So their their style was more I guess it was still more I guess raw more energy yeah whereas to when they came to the states they became more I guess more commercialized more dynamic uh-huh but uh Motorhead was just one of those bands that they never they never changed their style throughout their whole career they were pretty much just rock and roll okay straight through I mean he was he grew up listening to people like Little Richard and Okay. A lot of the old school right. uh, rock and roll, like rockabilly type okay. of bands, but he lived a he lived a hard life, wow, a really hard life, and just drugs and right. alcohol. And so, that's gonna take your to- their toll, you know. And so, uh, if you don't somewhere along the line decide to get on a healthier way mm-hmm. then uh, you you don't offset you won't offset that mm-hmm. that damage that you might have done and it seems like most of well most of these guys have been passing away from cancer right and very some very aggressive forms of cancer right and it's just like you were saying it might not take its toll in the at that moment right. when you're 19 20 years old but when you start reaching 40 50 even right into your 40s because he had a Lemmy had a lot of uh, health issues I think by the time he was maybe four, late 40s maybe. is that right because he, he I think he at first was first suffering from diabetes and then he was diagnosed with hypertension and then had to have a defibrillator put in his heart mercy I mean just a, well that's serious and then he's still out on the road right playing uh, heavy metal, right? And that's no that's then, no walk in the park. No, no. Gosh, you know if you have all those diabetes, a Hyper- defibrillator, hypertension, hypertension, those are serious things. Just I mean, just diabetes alone. Yeah, just, diabetes alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd, you'd you'd want to take care of yourself a lot. And by the, I ended up finding out that uh, by the time he ended up passing away from uh, prostate cancer. Okay. So okay. he had that too. Right. Along with the terminal cancer that they told him that he had then two that, days prior to his death. Right. That they ended up finding tumors in his neck and brain because, I mean, he was. Oh, mercy. He was, I mean, he was pretty much done. Yeah. yeah. But he. Now, how old was he? He was 70. He okay. turned. He had turned. He had just turned 70 two days prior to his death and a week before they had like a big um like a big birthday party mm-hmm. at uh in la i think it was at the at the rainbow 
at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Yeah. They had like a little, it might have been there. I can't remember where. Some kind of gathering. Yeah, they had all, all the musicians come through and just celebrating his, uh, his whole career. Well, then it's amazing that he even made it to 70. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't get taken out early. Right, right. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but he used to be a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. I didn't know that. He was the one that used to score a massive back in <laughs> back in those days, <laughs> and he got maybe at maybe at I'd say maybe less than half of what he gave Hendrix, right? And he would just go to town from there. Wow! So I guess his his uh, days of partying started from there. Yeah, well, it's then it's amazing that he made it that far, you know. For him to be roading for Hendrix, that's a, yeah, that's just crazy. I, I when I first read about that, I was like, wow, that's. Because those, wow. those were heavy days. Before, and even before he started uh, Motorhead, he was he used to play in the Acid, I think it was Acid Rock Band. Okay. They used to play in. They played all that uh, kind of trippy. Psychedelic. Psychedelic stuff. Yeah. And eventually he ended up just transitioning from one thing to a completely different style. Okay. And just influenced a whole bunch of uh, artists in heavy metal. Wow. Bands like Metallica. Right. All the bigger bands. It's a, it's a shame that he's gone, but yes. the music's still going to be there, yes, more importantly. There. Uh, Glenn Fry, another talented musician. And he went I mean, too young, too. I grew up listening to the... I'm sure you, growing up, you were growing up when... Uh, coming up when Hotel California came out. Oh, yeah. Out. Oh, yeah. I'd say about maybe 76. Yeah, that's, that around sounds the time right. That came out. Yeah. How was that like when, when you first heard, uh, well, heard about I mean, it? Well, I mean... When Hotel California came out, it was just awesome for guitar players going, wow, look, listen to all that. And they had the, the dual leads mm-hmm. uh, with him and uh, Joe Walsh. Don Felder. And Don Felder mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, it, it, was, it was hard to do because we were learning some of those songs. And they were hard to do. It's just like, gosh, which part, which part are you going to take? Which part are you going to take? And uh, it took a lot of sitting down in front of, uh, a, a player uh, studying the music to get it and then to okay we're going to play it this weekend <laughs> Whoa, wow. you know you're like can we you know nervous mm-hmm. nervous playing it but uh, it it was something else it was something else and all those songs were just almost all of them were hits so it was a wonderful time for music when the Eagles had that out it was it was wonderful beautiful songs so uh, they were great songs you could you could play five or six songs off that album and and at a gig and mm-hmm. people would love all of them wow know, so and they were more they were one of those bands that kind of not they were rock but they also added in elements of like country yep. and folk folk yeah just a whole range of uh, range right. of styles and and then it ended up being being that right you could hear the spanish influences mm-hmm. on the rock stuff yeah there's was slide going on slide guitar going on i think that was the ultimate the ultimate band for for me i mean you look at all the members that are, that are in the eagles yeah don henley glenn fry they were uh, very serious joe they, walsh yeah they were very serious musicians too so they took their job real serious and they all had tremendous uh, uh, successful solo careers right. af- in the 80s afterwards. Right. And then they all 
come come back together come to back re- together reunion like like nothing ever happened right right i'm mean, joe walsh had uh, the james gang he was in a band called the james gang mm-hmm. and he had hits already even before joining the yes the before eagles. the eagles way uh-huh. before the eagles i remember when i was a kid and listening to his his uh and one of his albums i forget uh uh what the name of it was but uh he had a slide what was it uh what's his name uh but anyway it had a slide part in it and it's just magnificent guitar work mm-hmm. just awesome guitar work so he was already big time you know before the eagles and by the time he joined the Eagles, he'd already had. He was a superstar. He's already. a superstar, you know, rock guitarist. That's and, a, that's amazing. Yeah, and and uh, God, just wonderful guitar playing, wonderful rock guitar playing. So you combine those elements: country, uh, you know, blues. Spanish, mm-hmm. blues, rock, with harmonies and mm-hmm. melodic songs, acoustic guitars. You know, so they were out to to kill it in a good way. Oh yeah. You know, and, and they did. They did. So mm-hmm. it's just too bad that Glenn Fry had to yeah. pass away. Do you think that? Uh, do you think that they should? Uh, yeah, I'm not saying they should, but do you think they should just? Um, I guess stop or how? How would you? How would you go on from there? You know, you lose a. You lose you mean, a founding member of, of the band, and I think it's pretty hard for a band like that because they were so big. If they get back together, there's going to be a lot of critics, right? Mm-hmm. So members are going to sit down and and probably if they were to consider it, they'd probably sit down and talk about can we match this and how are we going to be looked at you know uh, I'm I'm sure they'd probably talk about it and w- maybe want to do it again without Glenn Fry of course but uh, on a real serious level if they wanted to release another album on a serious level where they were getting the race and compete and, and see how big they can you know what how big of an album they could make they may not do it, you know, but they they might do it, but they'd have to really think about it and because they wouldn't want to flop. Right. 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 So I think it would start with. Let's consider it. But before we even release anything, let's go in the studio with the songs and, and compile all these songs and see how many we have and see how good they are and really uh, have a producers and, and, and a and people look at it and go, it's worthy, you know, of coming out. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be something hard that they'd have to think about, you know. Or else be, you know, would they want to go do just a reenactment of the Eagles? I don't think they'd want to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Where would they gig? Would they gig in Las Vegas? They could probably tour without Glenn Frey and do a good tour, but it'd be like almost like a final Mm-hmm. Tour, one you more know. run, one more run, uh-huh. and uh, they could probably do it successfully, but they'd be just re. I think people would would just be going, play this song, play that song. You know, it'd have to be a greatest hits. Yeah. 
you know, as far as a new album and touring that, that'd be real difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most, uh, I'd say maybe most fans, if not some of them, would just be, oh, it's not the same because not the same. he's not there exactly anymore. They should just quit exactly. already. Or so they, they'd have to consider that. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot a lot going on behind the scenes, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, it's uh, it's hard when you lose a founding member. Like yeah. That. Just yeah. like Motorhead, just as soon as he passed away, not a day or two later, they said that, you know, the band was finished. That's it. Motorhead was, was Lemmy. Right. So, I mean, yeah. without him. Yeah, exactly. He's It's done. Exactly. Over so. with. So you lose people like... Fra- Another one that took me by surprise was uh, Bowie. Bowie, David yeah. Bowie. Right. I, like most people, I... Did not had no clue that he was but, sick. Well, he kept it pretty secret. He sure did. And for it about took me by surprise. Almost two years. Right. And this new album comes out. It came out in number one on Billboard. Right. Right after his passing, I was like, wow. But yeah, he was one of those. Uh, I had a teacher in high school. He had the. That was this was my introduction to Bowie. I I had known of of him. No, this goes way back when I was in tenth grade. Mm. Um, they played a he. Pl- I had this teacher that played as uh, Major Tom, and that's how I got introduced to Bowie. I started going through stuff like Space Oddity and all that good stuff. Then I had this teacher, and uh, must have been the same year. I ended up having him again two years later for another class. Okay. He had the he had the Diamond Dogs poster in the classroom. Yeah. And uh, he was a huge Bowie fan. He still is to this day. And, I mean, he was pretty saddened of his passing, too. I believe it. Uh, But, yeah, he was just one of those... He was just an artist overall. He really was. He he was a true artist. and I mean, he was a musician, but he was more than... I mean, he really... And he himself said it on the interviews. He's saying, I'm... He's more just trying to get his vision at the time whatever year it might be whatever he's feeling he's like a vehicle for you know for artistry Mm -hmm. he really was an artist Mm -hmm. and uh his albums show it and his approach to all that right you know every different album they had a show on channel 8 the other day and they were chronicling they were going from 71 to 74 the album that he did then from 75 to 78 and they were chronicling all that and how you he, he how he approached every album a new vision a new vision here a new vision here and he'd hire different musicians for each vision and he'd live that that vision in the studio and he was he was uh, dedicated to his to his songs you know so he and really his, meant it. He meant the artistry. And his he, image. Too. And his image. It's, it's so, crazy how from one album to another, it's just... Different. Diamond Dogs, and then you have stuff like Ziggy Stardust, right. and then he goes completely... He just dyes his hair blonde. Right. It's like, wow. It just, it just keeps it, changing. Whatever the art is here, mm-hmm. whatever his vision is, a true artist. Mm-hmm. So, I think another, another musician, another individual like that it was uh michael jackson yeah who's been gone for for years already right um you look at every one of his albums he just kept changing and kept yeah. getting bigger and bigger right yeah he did I, I was listening to 
because I, I mean, grew up a Michael Jackson fan too. I was listening to some of his songs the yeah. other day. Just from when you go from Thriller all the way to his stuff in the 90s, it was just, he just kept expanding. He expanding. did. He did. And, and he'd, hire, he'd hire all these great musicians oh, yeah, to yeah. fulfill his vision. And it was great stuff. Mm-hmm. It was great stuff. So You look at musicians like Michael Jackson and, and people always talk about there's always the there's always the bad stuff that comes with it right and a lot of people tend to focus on that you know that we all have our flaws and right you know we go through our trials and tribulations but there's a lot of good a lot of good music out there yeah yeah a lot of good music forget what he you know what he did in his personal life that's right right it doesn't affect me at all yeah i mean i'll i'll have my personal opinion on you know his actions and right. all that, but you know, but forget about that. Yeah, forget about that. You know, let's talk about the artistry. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if you sit down and look at mm, mostly every musician, I'm sure they had their little share of drugs and oh, yeah. alcohol. There's skeletons in the closet. Women and right, just about anything you can right. think of. Right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, but uh, aside from that, the, like Michael Jackson and and Dave Bowie all their artistry is incredible mm-hmm. you know and how they developed it it's interesting to me to how they approached their studio work you know that's the part that that i like to look at is how did they interact how did they approach a song who did they hire to record these songs why why did they hire them you know and then listening to the the different parts that the guitar player did that this player did and how it was put together that's what really interested me, you know. Mm-hmm. When I was listening to Bowie, and they had, they had. Uh, I never played the song, but the other day they were they were doing the, uh, they were doing. Uh, Let's dance. So they were interviewing the guitar player, and they were talking that Bowie came in with this song, and uh, he and he said that the demos were great. When the when the when the other musicians would before they recorded it, mm-hmm. he would come in with his demo and go, "Here's the song. This is the next one I want to do." Mm-hmm. And uh, the guitar player was going, I, "I forget his name. He's from New York, I believe, mm-hmm. and he's a Latino guy." And uh, he says, "No, I told him." This is what you want to put on it. And he started playing that lick. And right when he played that lick, and Bowie said, that's it, you know? So to me, it's it's interesting how it was put together, you know, how each song was put together and whose thoughts was what. Mm-hmm. How they got the, the how, inspiration. The, the inspiration uh-huh. and how one little idea leads to this. Uh-huh. And eventually you hear the whole song together and you go, wow, that little riff turned into this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a nerd for all that stuff too. I, yeah. I love watching all those uh, uh, making of this album or making of uh, this album. Right. Just the way that a song comes together. Or, yes. Oh, I'm not getting the right sound. Or right. Let's try this guitar. Let's put let's put the guitar in a bathroom. Yeah. Let's put let's put do this. Let's do that. Experimenting with and eventually you hear it inside the the radio ready song 
and you go, wow, mm -hmm. how it all fit and how producers are able to put it all together, mm -hmm. you know, and help, you know, make it into a smash hit. You right, know? right. Did you ever, um, I guess, uh, take up that role, uh, I guess, going through your career as a, as a producer? Well, I mean, a lot of times uh, there were bands where I picked out the songs to learn and I would learn all the bass parts, the guitar parts, and the lead parts, mm -hmm. and uh, and I would many times I would dictate what the part, uh, how to play a part, you know. Uh, so yeah, there's been times when that happened, uh, and then there's times when you have really strong musicians with strong ideas, and then so it it gets harder to fit in only your idea. So yeah. But a lot of times you're in bands where there's different situations uh, where uh, uh, you, they they want your guidance, they need your guidance. So, and then there's times when when everybody wants to wants their guidance, you know. So, uh, and that's when it gets tough when you have too many leaders in a band, you know. Mm -hmm. The vision can get lost. Yeah. So that's kind of where a a producer is helpful is eventually he gets it and the main artist and and when you playing covers like covers of songs is different than when you're playing original material uh when you're playing original material then really the guy that wrote it uh and the producer are eventually going to have the last say in it you know so they just want the best uh so let's say i wrote a song and uh, I went in front of a band and tried to show them, then uh, I would have ultimate say in what ended up. So that's when you go in and record different, uh, the bass player might have several takes, and eventually the producer goes, this is the take we're going with, you know, because his ear is fine-tuned to, to this is what's really gonna come out, you know, or gonna be a hit, that sound, Although the bass player may not like that part, mm -hmm. the producer can hear past it and go, but that's the part, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how music works in the studio. Right. You know, which are, is, are you familiar with um, Rick Rubin? I've heard his name, but... Fam I'm, famous producer. He, okay. He's produced, uh, he produced the last uh, Black Sabbath album. He's produced for ACDC. Okay. Uh, that's where I've seen his name. Metallica. Um what he does is when he starts working with a band or a band wants to work with him he'll like for black sabbath the last album he he pretty much made him listen to the first album from start to finish and he tells them okay so rick uh try to do something that can follow that i see forget everything else you've done just right. try to follow what you did there right so it's pretty much just what He's just stripping down everything and right. just getting at the core. And I've seen videos of him on YouTube when he's in the studio. He's just laying down uh, on his back in a bed, and he's listening to what they're recording. And if he doesn't like it, he'll just say, no, I don't like that. Uh, try something else. Or, mm -hmm. okay, maybe you can do that a little faster or slow that down. He's kind of like the, I don't know, he's very laid back and... But he knows what he knows what he's trying to, I guess, put together. Yes. Some people that have worked with him say that it's frustrating to work with him, but others have 
Praise just him. love loved working for him. Yeah, yeah he's known for his uh, style of stripping down everything. No, uh, no reverb, just straight ahead. Straight ahead. Um, rocker. He's produced for Johnny Cash too, I think. Okay. I think one album that he did before his uh, his passing. I'll be done. Uh, he was actually. He did a couple hip hop albums too back. Uh, back in like the late 80s so he's he's very eclectic when it comes to producing he's worked with people like justin timberlake i believe adele so he's big time yeah he just he he does everything oh yeah yeah so he's uh he's got an ear oh yeah he's got an ear he's he's very uh well off as they say right but he's he's very producers like him um i'm trying to think of other famous producers uh that have come along the way. Well, it's like uh, also like producers of the Beatles. In the first, there was Brian Epstein, and then there was a who's the last one? Uh, like during the Abbey Road times, uh, but they're so important, you know, because mm-hmm. you could come in with a little song stripped down. And then the producer gets a hold of it and just make. By the time you listen to it, you go, God, you know, look what it became, mm-hmm. you know. So it's important to have their their say or or the final say almost. Right. Uh, Bob Rock, he's a uh, famous for producing Metallica in their in their peak years back in the in the nineties. Um, what he did was pretty much take them from a from. I mean, I look at it, and I'm like, man, these guys were, they were, you know, they were getting bigger every album. They were just getting faster. Right. But what he did was made him more, I guess, more commercialized. Yeah. More uh, dynamic. Right. And the music had more of like a punch to it. Right. It was more, it was heavy. Right. And he he worked with them for maybe about... 12 to 13 years and in those years they released one two three four four albums that were number one straight on on the billboard charts wow it's just amazing he was like the fifth like the fifth member of of the band right right and he had a i've seen several documentaries of making of those albums and he's just i mean he has an ear for for everything like like you say incredible just uh okay uh play that again or okay try it in in this key right try it a little higher maybe try it a little lower right and not just guitar but he'll go into the percussion side too say okay let's try all these different sounds these different drums and yeah that's what a producer can do mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible and uh gosh let's try the keyboards too it's like it's just very well versed Right. As a musician and as a just a producer overall, right. Sometimes it's later on in artists' careers you see you see them producing themselves. They'll just put out the CD themselves, and yeah, that's okay. But you know, I think sometimes you, in my opinion, you do need that helping hand along I, I the way. I think so. I think so. You know, especially if for the the hit side of it if they they're used to making hits like you're saying uh desmond child it just his name just popped up in, okay. in my mind he uh 
he's written, if I can pull the list out real quick, worked for guys like Ricky Martin right. and okay. Kiss, Bon Jovi, all the hits all that, different that you know of. of. Yeah, and I was going through the list the other day. I was I was just impressed. I was like, wow, he wrote he wrote all these hits. I mean, I'm I would have never known. So he wrote some of that too. Yeah, he he wrote a lot of uh. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick on my phone. He wrote a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff that I guess the older classic bands were doing in the late '80s right. that were coming back. Since they had declined, he wrote a lot of that stuff. I'll be done. Go through his name real quick. Yeah, he wrote a lot of uh, a lot of great hits. He's uh, and he's produced a lot of stuff too. He's worked with. Uh, I was made for loving you. He he co-wrote that by Kiss. Okay. He's worked with Cher. Bon Jovi, you know, living on a prayer. Right. Aerosmith, dude looks like a lady. Uh, Joan Jett. Wow. Alice Cooper, Michael Bolton. Man, how different. I mean, it's just a rat. There's another producer. His name is David Foster. Are you familiar with him? Foster. Who? David Foster. He Who? he wrote a lot of songs, and he's produced. He's produced a lot of people himself, too. And, and sometimes you'll see him on TV shows as a piano player, and he's a producer. But he's produced people from all different walks. And the, the power they have, the ear they have, and, and how they can make a hit. Okay, I'm pulling up his discography right now. Let's okay. see if uh, albums. Okay. He... Artists, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Diana Ross, Chicago. Right. Okay. And he wrote a lot of those hits. Shaka Khan, wow. Kenny Loggins, Neil Diamond, Celine Dion, Whitney. H- wow, I did. I did not know. That. Barbara Streisand. Uh. Michael Jackson? Wow. Right. Madonna? Wow, you're right. <laughs> yeah, man, he's big time. The Scorpions, the Bee Gees. Um, this guy's got a lot of stuff. Yep. Even to current current stuff, Destiny's Child. The What is the blind singer? Uh, Stevie Wonder? No, not not him. Uh, uh, Italian guy. Uh, um, bu- 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 I know who you're talking about. I can't. I can't recall the name. I forget his name too. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff with him too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, just a lot of. When it comes to the production side of things, I'm very. I'm a nerd when it comes. Like yeah. I said, when it comes to that. When it comes to gear too. Yeah. Um. Did you have a lot of, uh, I guess we, we people would say, uh, would call a rig now, like a tour, when you're touring or when you're playing? Uh, what, Did you have a lot of a lot of that going on? I had basic or? things that I used, uh-huh. but I didn't use a whole lot of it, but I used basic things. Like, I'll, 
I had distortions. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would get the distortion out of my amp, but sometimes I'd have pedals that were well known, like Boss Overdrive. Right, right. Quality uh, stuff. Quality stuff. Um, tube driver on an Ibanez tube driver, which a lot of people used. So, and they're just basic, but uh, you could coax your own sound out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I basically would use on my setup, depending on the amount that I wanted, I would set it up, and sometimes depending on the song. Uh, so I would always have overdrive, distortion and overdrive, uh, chorus, flanging, a, a wah, wah pedal, mm-hmm. a delay, uh, the reverb, the delay, chorus, uh, sometimes a volume pedal, and those were my basic ones right there, mm-hmm. and the rest was was simple, you know. So that that was the most I used, and we're like with delays, um, I'll use delay a bit, sometimes a lot depending on the song, uh, and sometimes a little, and some and depending on the the tempo of the song, like if if the song is, let's say the song is fast, like tick tock tick tock i'll use a tap tempo i'll go tick 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 so the delay will go click 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 so i'll tap tempo the delay to the time of the song right which is real important you know for a long lead i'll use a long delay you know because it decay it decays real wide and it sounds like it's floating you know, especially for slow songs. You, you want it to sound like it, the, the lead is going, I don't mean into outer space, but it, it, yeah. it just, that it widens up as it goes. Because uh-huh. it, it'll repeat itself, bing, bing, and in between it's like a hall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so those are the things that I would use. My basic reverb, delay, chorus, flanging, uh, volume pedal, wah-wah pedal. Uh, and that's about it. What were you running running this through? Were you were you a big uh, user, big Marshall user, or were you using uh... mostly Fenders? Mm-hmm. When I started off, I was using a lot of Fender amps, like small combo amps, which is the amp and the speakers together. Uh, I owned a bunch of different things, uh, but I'd have Fenders like a Super Reverb, a Twin Reverb, mm-hmm. a Deluxe Reverb. Uh, sometimes I'd have a I once had a dual showman what they call a dual showman fender head with a 215 so it'd be two big speakers they give me a big sound uh, I also had an orange cabinet oh those are really good uh, yeah I had an orange cabinet that I was using uh, I had some boogies also Mesa which, boogies Mesa boogies wow. which I loved a lot uh, those were some of my favorites with the Mesa boogies but uh, a lot of people used to ask me how I got my tone, and uh, but sometimes they would be using a lot of gear, and I would just use a minimal amount, and they'd wonder, how are you getting that sound? So a lot of it is in your hands, mm-hmm. you know? So, and how your ear perceives that sound, you know? And and how you approach that sound. Yeah, so, a lot of people want to hide behind the, exactly. all those You can't just pedals. turn it on and drench it. Mm-hmm. You can't do that and expect, well, it's supposed to make me sound better. Well, it's not really meant not to really. make you sound better, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, 
it ultimately it's got to be your hands, you know, right? And your choice of of notes that you use, like when you're constructing a lead, the choice of notes that you have, how many, mm-hmm. how few, you know, it's just as important as how little you play, as how how much you play, you know. Mm-hmm. Many times, it's more important to lay back and wait for a note and hit two or three notes as opposed to 20 and those two or three notes are going to say a lot more than those 20 mm-hmm. so uh, it's important and a lot of uh, imp- big time lead players have talked about don't p- play a lot of them pick the right ones you know and that takes a lot of time of playing and uh, investigating how do you do that you know how do you pick those notes so you have to study your scales and then you have to strip it down and go which how do I build a solo you know when I build a solo I'll start off just barely telling you what it's gonna tell you then there's at one point if it's a long solo I'll build it to a climax so I'm, I'm building you, I'm building you, and then I may give you, I may be coming up to the high end, I may wait to give you that high, to that high end mm-hmm. uh, until the last, and, and uh, to where you're like, yeah, that's it, and then boom, I'm out. You know, so you mm-hmm. left them right here, you built them from right here, you guided them, you cradled them along until the very, until you really have them at their maximum, and then just dropped it and back into the verse, and people just feel that, you know. So it's important to know how to build one. Right. Uh, David Gilmore comes to mind when you yes. talk a lot about that. Gilmore is awesome at that. Mm-hmm. Jeff Beck is great at that. Right. So you can only play uh, a million notes, like you said, for for so long, and people are just gonna yes, play, you know. And there's a lot of great players. Oh yeah. Who yeah. can play a lot of notes, mm-hmm. and you'll just be dazzled by, but. But if you go hear them, when you stand in front of them and they shoot their wad off, excuse my language, no, but it's in true. the first two songs, mm-hmm. and then the third song, they're just repeating, they've done everything already. Yeah. Then they haven't, they haven't got, they haven't taken you on that journey. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the best concert you've gone to. It's that journey from beginning to the end that they've guided you through that makes you walk away and go, God, that was incredible. You right. hardly know how to put it into words, but it's that journey that they took you mm-hmm. on. Well, that was because they were they constructed that journey mm-hmm. uh, and they thought about it and uh, they didn't just give everything to you and played everything in the first two songs. Yeah, I think there's only a handful of players that can actually pull that off and still maintain, like, um, I guess, when it comes to scales and all that, you have guys like Malmsteen, and right. there's only a handful of those guys that can actually pull that off and say, "Wow, that's exactly you know, Malmsteen." You know, he's known for what yeah. he's known for, right? His uh, neoclassical playing. Right. I mean, it's just when I first heard him, I was like, "Wow!" I was like, <laughs> "Are they speeding this up or something?" Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> or what's going on here? And his yeah. his whole fretboard's all scalloped. Scalloped, yeah. So. I've played a, with a scallop fret before right. at a guitar center. I'm like, wow, this is so... Yeah, they, they make that Malmsteen, uh, that Ibanez mm-hmm. model. 
My, my other student's got one of those. Oh, really? He's got a white one. Wow. He's got the top end, you know, the one with the you put your hand through mm -hmm. here like this. Oh, that's the uh, that's the Steve Vai. Uh, the Steve yeah, he's Vai got model. Steve Vai. Yeah. Steve Vai. Uh -huh. uh, but he's also got a Momstein, uh, uh, what is it, the Stratocaster. Strat. Yeah. Strat. He's the got Fender a Momstein Strat. Strat, and it's all scalloped. And it's quite different to play on it, you know? Yeah. Because it's just like that, you know? And you go, whoa. And you can actually just push down on the string as opposed to bending it, and it bends, you know? So you got to watch how you play. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it's a different way of playing, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's when I first heard Malmsteen also, it's like, man, that mm -hmm. was awesome. But there's a lot of players back in the background in different genres like jazz and stuff that I was hearing at the time that didn't come out on a uh, on regular radio, uh, but I, I was hearing that were pulling off stuff like that that a lot of people haven't heard of, that, but that were incredible mm -hmm. you know and that was actually one of my uh before we wrap up one of my uh final questions i guess um your impressions of you know several guitarists of coming up like uh like van halen like malmsteen like for example i remember when we talked about uh eddie van halen right you're coming up um how you know how different it was how it's like, well, what what is this guy doing? What's he? Yeah. What's going on there? Right. And even to way back to Hendrix, it was a completely different, different oh, style. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. I'm sure. What what was that like for when when Hendrix came out? When Hendrix came out, I remember I was in high school. And first hearing, although it had already been in records, like the Beatles had done it, feedback. You know, when mm -hmm. you get. Uh, turn an amp really all the way up and mm -hmm. get and, and get real close to it and, and start doing a, a note and uh you know, you know do that right and then it turns into and it screams uh -huh. finally screams and ooh, um, you know do that when hendrix did that it just blew my head off you know oh. and it blew everybody's minds you know they were like they hadn't heard a guitar do that you know with such wild abandon mm -hmm. and the command he had to that blue scale that he was doing and he'd and he bend really high up uh, so with a lot of overdrive and, and he was using the wah pedal too a lot but uh, he it was like uh, it was like uh, the, a new thing you know and he but was, fantastic he was, he was young too at the, he was at young. the time he was, he was young. 20s he, he had just gotten out of uh, the, yeah 20s early 20s at the time because wow. he finally died at 27 so he did everything at age 23 24 25 you know wow. so he was kicking butt in those i mean in a serious musical way mm -hmm. you know eddie van halen uh, when he first came out uh, uh, same thing in a whole different you know How's he doing that, you know? And the tapping and the preciseness of everything, you know? But the wild abandon, but controlled. It's, it's like controlled wild horses. It's like mm -hmm. somebody on a, on a chariot with five, you know, horses and going, but able to turn the corner on a dime, mm -hmm. you know? To, to me, Eddie Van Halen was like that. Was He was... He was doing that tapping thing, so it sounded like, I don't, I, I don't mean like a piano, but like somebody doing these piano, incredible piano uh, uh, scales and stuff. And the tapping, which hadn't been done like that, you know, on, on, on a 
popular record, but combining the blues scale with it in a rock way. So there was that wildness of it, but perf perfectness of it too. Mm -hmm. So being able to turn on a dime and make it sound musical. You know, th that's what I liked about it, that, that they were he was able to make it sound musical. Instead of just hitting whatever. Instead of, whatever. Just, instead of just flashing off, he was, make, he was making it sound like music mm -hmm. in, a, in the context of a song, mm -hmm. you know. So he knew when to do it, when not to do it. So, and the tone, his tone was incredible. Mm -hmm. So he had all of, the, all of that going. What about Jimmy Page? Jimmy Page, to me, what interested me was, and when he came out, I mean, when, when he was playing, he was playing some cool licks. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, uh, not only that, but one song could be different from another in, in not quite how, how you would have, I wouldn't have figured out that the next song would have been totally a different lick, mm -hmm. you know? One would be blues-based all the way, then another one would be like listening to somebody, a an English countryside, you know? Mm -hmm. And he would use different guitars, different 12-strings, you know, different acoustics, different tunings. Uh, so, uh, and, and the rock things that he did were odd, and then to have Jimmy Page interwoven in with that, that guitar work was just like, wow, this is so odd. But the guitar work is so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So I liked him that he could go from one thing to another, you know, that was totally different. Mm -hmm. Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes to me was like, almost to me like, if there, if, if there, if he hadn't have died, there wouldn't, have, I'm not gonna say it, don't take me wrong, but Eddie Van Halen might not have been as, you know, as dominant? As dominant because Randy Rhodes was right there. I mean, his approach to what he did with, uh, with, with uh, what's the singer? Uh, Ozzy. Ozzy. Ozzy what, he did, what he did with reviving that whole thing. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, uh, you know, Ozzy didn't think there was any hope left for himself, you know. And here comes Randy, saves it, saves, saved the music. He was a perfect rock guitarist, you know. He was what I thought. Uh, he had those qualities of, of walking into a big, big uh, rock club, because I was playing rock clubs at the time. Right. And I and I was just thinking, this guy's got the look. He's got the sound. He's got, he, you know, he's got. He's doing a little bit of, of what Eddie's doing, but he's doing a lot of the blues chops. He's doing, so he had it all that rock mm -hmm. thing. He had a lot of those. Uh, he had a lot of classical elements to right. to his guitar playing, a lot of the blues. Uh, and yeah. He just fused that into heavy metal. Yeah, it's just exactly perfect combination. Exactly. So, so it was perfect for. That was a perfect time for for Black Sabbath. You know, for, mm -hmm. for Ozzy. Perfect Ozzy mm -hmm. for Ozzy. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, trying to think of maybe one more. Ingve Malmsteen. Ingve was really neat. Was really different to me because of the, that neoclassical mm -hmm. thing, and uh, I hadn't heard anybody doing it like that. And again, the songs sounded. It took me into that. I whenever I heard him, 
I could see castles, you know. I could right, I could right. see a Lady Godiva on a horse, mm-hmm. you know. All the dragons and, and his his his. <laughs> And the dragons and I could, and his vibrato was really great, you know. Along with all the other neoclassical stuff, his vibrato was really cool with me. Mm-hmm. His tone was really good too. So, and he didn't use a lot of uh, effects, hardly at all. He had the reverb thing happening, mm-hmm. but uh, otherwise he just had a, a straight guitar and a Marshall, you know, cranked up. And he used his volume tone to just change how much overdrive he had. That's all. He wasn't using a lot of things except the straight amp, the guitar, and going up and down on his volume. So I really liked Malmsteen when he came out. Right, and it just spawned off a lot of. Uh, he did a lot of. He did. Uh, new guitar players, copycats. Exactly. Uh, and just that whole explosion that happened in the in the late '80s with the shred right. guitarists Satriani, yeah, Vi, yeah, all. I mean, and when you listen to when you listen to them you say oh that's uh, Satriani right. he has a certain way of playing right. that's Steve Vai he has a certain way of playing too right Steve Vai another uh, what, what did you think of him well I mean I, I could hear a lot of Satriani and Steve Vai mm-hmm. I could hear but I could hear uh, well he was he was his teacher uh, right. Satriani so, was uh, Vai's teacher right so I, I could hear that I could hear that he was coming out of that school mm-hmm. you know so uh, but but also a lot of new weirdness and 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 effects you know mm-hmm. that they were using and and so trying to use that you know different effects but use them tastefully you know within the context of a song so and and that's when you were hearing really uh artistic technical guitar players that actually spent time not just learning songs but actually studying a guitar for you rose to another level of okay. That's that. You, know, you spent a lot of time practicing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, hats off to all that, you know. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's a that's a. I have yet to see. I mean, I know there might be. They they might be out there, but I have yet to see something like. A movement like the one that Malmsteen had, or just a somebody to come out with a whole new. I know different styles. I know it's, it's, it's very, about time it's for something to happen, but it's really hard because a lot has been done. You mm-hmm. know, a lot has been done, but there's somebody out there. I'm sure. Or I'm there's sure, a sure. bun. There's a few of them that are gonna. But what is gonna be? You know, what are they gonna use? Mm-hmm. Are they gonna use effects? How many effects are they gonna use? Right. You know? Or it might be stripped down. All it the might way be to, stripped to down. So, but it will. In order for it to break out to where it, you take notice and go, wow, that's something special, mm-hmm. it'll have to be an artist. Right. You know, they'll have to be technically great, but it'll have to be something from deep with, within them that they bring out that says art to me mm-hmm. for it to be noticed. Right. Because there's a lot of great players, thousands of them. Right, to come out of that, for something to come out of that, it's hard. And a lot of incredible thousands of guitar players mm-hmm. to come out of that is going to be really tough. It's hard. It's very competitive. It, it can't just be technique. It's got to be from inside something soul, something mm-hmm. their personal 
uh, thing, you mm-hmm. know, brought out. Right, right. Because that's the only thing that'll be different, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 that nobody can take away from it or, or duplicate. Is, or they can duplicate, but it's, it, for it to be special, it has to be from inside. Right, right. Hell, it's been a lot of fun just sitting here sitting chatting here. about music and guitar, learning out about guitar and gear and whatever. I mean, I'd love to do this again well, we in the future. It. I um, love it. You love it. I enjoyed it. Right, and uh, thanks for coming on again. And you bet. Hopefully, I can talk to you again soon in the in the future. You bet. You bet. See what's going on regarding uh, playing gigs or uh, see where I'm at playing guitar that at great. that point. Oh, we're going to continue uh, that. It's been a lot of fun, Haley. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you.